The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. We're talking the Rendlesham Forest incident. Hit it. It was 1980. The Iran-Iraq war began. VHS home movie cameras averaged $1,599, and some U.S. Air Force patrolmen ran into some unexpected visitors. I'm your host, Jerry D., with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Now, joining me is a very special guest. You'll know him as one of the hosts of the Canadian Spirit podcast. It's Kelly McMillan. Kelly, how's it going? Oh, not too bad, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, I've been ever since we both joined uh, the Illumapati, I've been trying to find a way to do some sort of cool paranormal something to, you know, that, that's not quite in my wheelhouse that, to invite you on because I really enjoy your show. Uh, I really enjoyed your interview with um, the Bigfoot witness. <laughs> yeah, we, we, that was certainly an interesting one. I didn't uh, really expect it to take that kind of a direction. Um, just, I don't know how explicit I can get on this podcast, but there were certain aspects of his anatomy that were mentioned that, um, yeah, <laughs> it certainly got interesting. It really did. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, you're part of the, uh, the, the spirit Institute, right? Yeah. It's uh, the supernatural paranormal investigations and research Institute. When you break it all down, it's, adds up to the uh the acronym, the acronym. Uh, spirit so yeah yeah and how long have you been part of that uh darcy and i we founded that back in 2011 so 10 years now wow that's cool and your your podcast is uh it's still relatively new but because you don't have like a ton of episodes but you all your episodes are very interesting it's a bi-weekly podcast so we put one out every two weeks right now uh, while we're recording anyway mm-hmm. uh, we're on season break so we did 20 episodes in our first season we're just taking a break right now figuring out exactly what direction we're taking the show in and you had quite a range of topics as well yeah definitely when we first started doing the podcast we started we got looking into canadian history and things like that as far as paranormal events go and mm-hmm. There were really some interesting bits and pieces in our country's history that neither Darcy or I had any idea about. Like, for example, the Great Werewolf Panic in in uh, Quebec City in the 1700s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you uh, you hear something like that and it just it makes you laugh. But at the same time, you can kind of see how someone would be afraid of something like that, especially, you know, in, in that area where I imagine there's lots of woods and forests and things of that nature um i'm in texas and so there's a lot of like just flat land it's a lot of like brush cactus and so it's hard for me to picture sometimes forests because i've never really been in like a forest so um even though we have a ranch and i've been on our ranch and there's tons of trees it's just it's completely different animal so I, i can see how something like that especially when you think of pop culture nowadays could be a little bit more scary and spooky and eerie than just a little desert you know with brush and cactus all around great werewolf scare. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine how just the whole area there in Canada would be um, just rife with uh, all sorts of scary stories and, and things of that nature, just because of some of the environment. Yeah. Not only just that, but also the indigenous folklore is absolutely rife with spirit stories, with ghost stories, uh, you know, cryptids, monsters. It's just absolutely rich with that kind of thing. When you really drill down on some of them, you can actually link them back to, say, for example, um, uh, natural disasters. Mm. Like uh, earthquakes or... um... Uh, One really good one that comes to mind is uh, the Haida tribe, which is out on uh, British Columbia's west coast. They have this story where the Thunderbird... I guess it's a thunderbird. It's not exactly they don't call it that, but it's the mm-hmm. closest approximation that I can that I can give you. That's uh, that's something familiar. Gotcha. 
Well, anyway, this Thunderbird is mortal enemies with the whale. And they're constantly in this sky-ocean battle with one another. But one day, the Thunderbird sweeps down out of the sky, grabs the whale, picks it up, and drops it on the land. Well, with the whale being a an ocean creature and whatnot, and being enormous in size, it creates an enormous earthquake, and right. then the ocean comes to reclaim the to reclaim the whale, or the whale calls to the ocean, and uh, the ocean comes to get it. Well, fast forward about 3,000 years or so, geologists started using these legends, and they started realizing it's not just the Haida who have this legend, it's all the way down the west coast of North America. And that's initially how they found out that the Cascadia Megafault exists off the uh, off the west coast of North America, so... <laughs> That's cool. I see, and I love stuff like that. That's so interesting to me. There, especially mythology in general. I, I've been a huge fan of, of Greek, Roman, and and of course Egyptian, and, and lately Norse mythology. It's just I've always been fascinated by stories uh, of how certain things exist and why you know certain natural phenomena do certain things, and and just the way that people interpreted it, you know, in in ancient civilizations. So mm-hmm. to me, that's just that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's almost like I mean, it's just kind of like Zeus and Poseidon, you know, uh, the brothers that got along but also didn't really get along. I mean, that's it's kind of that that similar thing: the sky and the ocean just warring against each other. So all that is just fascinating, but we're not here to talk about that. We're actually here to talk about UFOs tonight. Indeed, we are. One of my favorite topics. <laughs> uh, you know, mine too, but probably for different reasons. I, I can talk about E.T. and the Predator all day long, but I don't know if I could talk just general UFO sightings all day long. I, I just don't have the knowledge on it. <laughs> when I was trying to, to find something that happened in the 80s that I could bring you on for, um, all of a sudden this popped up. And uh, you'll forgive my poor South Texas pronunciations of the various names, but I believe it's Rendlesham. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Rendlesham. Okay, yeah. So this is just, it was an incident that occurred on um, December 26th at around 2 to 3 a.m. And it, it just really kind of took off nationally uh, and then eventually internationally, it was just one of those big unsolved mysteries. In fact, I think it even aired on unsolved mysteries in the like or the early nineties, like 91, something like that. Yeah. It did so. Yeah. And so it's, it, of course they, it's still unsolved. And one of the parties involved still claims that he saw, and he's adamant that he has new evidence about some extraterrestrials and things of that nature. But uh, a lot of people write it off as a hoax, as a lot of them do for these UFO type things. What's your mm-hmm. stance in general on UFOs? Uh, as far as UFOs go, I have a bit of a controversial stance. Uh, I get a lot. I get in trouble a lot with uh, UFO Twitter in regards <laughs> to some of my stances because those people they're out of their minds. They <laughs> they tend to Fair think enough. that the the government. Well, their stance is that the government knows about UFOs. Mm-hmm. They keep them covered up. And, you know, they know exactly what they are. They've reverse engineered the craft and they're going to create Project Bluebeam and they're going to stage an alien takeover the world. No, no, no. I I don't think that. (laughs) My my personal thoughts on it is that Mm -hmm. legitimately Mm -hmm. they don't know. And I'll tell you why. Because if the government did know Mm -hmm. what these UFOs are, if they had a crashed craft recovered and they were able to reverse engineer it, wouldn't it then be better for national security to come forward and say, hey, yeah, there are alien spacecraft. We have one. We know what it's capable of. We know how to defend against it. Or sitting back and saying, oh, no, we don't know anything. We don't know a thing. Nope, nope, nope. Which one breeds more confidence in your government or your ruling class? Uh, in, to my mind, definitely the first one. Yeah, so if they really did know what these things are it would be more beneficial for them to come out and just say it. So my, my mm-hmm. stance is that genu- genuinely they don't know what these things are. And really until the last couple of years, they haven't really been taking them all that seriously either. Right. So you weren't going to storm area 51 then? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I spent a couple of months out in the desert. It did not agree with me. So <laughs> I'm okay with not going back. I understand. Yeah. Um, so I, Generally, I, I like to believe in things. Uh, I mean, of course, I run a a Christmas podcast, so you know I'm definitely more of a believer. But 
it's just one of those that um, I don't know if a lot of these unexplained events really are unexplained. I believe a lot of them could be very well explained through natural phenomena. Not that there's mm-hmm. not UFOs out there, not that there aren't, isn't, you know, intelligent life out there. I just, I really think that some, a lot of these, especially the ones that I've briefly looked at, seems like could very well just be explained naturally. And I agree a hundred percent. If I could yeah. interject for a second here. Yeah, go for it. We've done a couple of um, UFO sightings. Well, generally, I'm the one who does them. My co-host on Canadian Spirit, Darcy, he's the guy who founded Spirit. But mm-hmm. whenever there's a UFO call, he's just like, okay, Kelly, just take it, go. I don't know <laughs> anything about any of this. So, But yeah, for the most part, in the area where I live up here in Canada, mm-hmm. I have yet to receive one UFO case that I can't rule out with natural or man-made phenomena. Gotcha. Yeah, and it, that just that seems to be at least the the general um, character, not characteristic, the, but what what I've noticed, I should say, a, a common thread for most of them. Um, again, I'm not ruling it out at all. I just it. No, certainly not. Uh, yeah, it just seems like at least for the the most part, a lot of these can be explained naturally. Yeah, and it's not to say that the witnesses or anything like that are. You know, some people say, oh, well, they're stupid or they don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes when you look up in the night sky and you see something for the first time, you don't know what it is. So mm-hmm. what else are you supposed to call it? A good example yeah. of this is uh, um, ice pillars. Have you ever heard of that phenomenon? I have not. Basically, it's uh, when uh, columns of ice crystals will form in the night sky, right? And it'll start reflecting ambient light from the ground uh, back to well, essentially it, it reflects the ambient light from the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So you get these brilliant white, blue, orange, yellow. I guess it looks like like beams of light, and sometimes it extends up into the upper atmosphere, and it almost looks kind of saucer shaped. Ah, so, interesting. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. If you can Google some photos of uh, of ice pillars. You know, you'll see some pretty amazing things. And yeah, to an untrained eye, to somebody who doesn't have any idea about uh, meteorological events or anything of that sort. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would seem very strange. And is that something that, that you find uh, really helps in these types of cases, knowing a lot about, you know, meteorology and uh, just various um, physical uh, things of nature, you know, like refraction and and all sorts of uh, things along the electromagnetic spectrum, stuff like that. Absolutely. The more you know about the natural world and its processes, the more explanations that you can essentially give. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an an example. It doesn't have to do with UFOs, so I'm going a bit off topic here. That's okay. But uh, Darcy and I, we were called into um, this um, this lady's home. And she was absolutely convinced that she was under demonic attack. Mm-hmm. She couldn't sleep at night. She was getting terrible headaches, feelings of dread, felt like something was watching her. She would wake up in the middle of the night choking. So we went to her home with all of our equipment. We started flipping on all our meters and setting up our cameras. And one of them starts going off. Okay. And I looked at it. I said, oh, you are being attacked by an unseen entity. She goes, oh, do we need to call a priest? No, you've got a carbon monoxide leak. We need to call the fire department. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's that's bad. <laughs> that's so, very dangerous. Yeah. And it just so happens to turn out that uh symptoms of acute carbon monoxide poisoning are insomnia, feelings of dread, paranoia, <laughs> everything that was on her list. Wow. That's yeah. So it's okay. So definitely the more you know about the natural world, the better. Definitely. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, I, I doubt I'll ever get into the, you know, the paranormal investigation business. But if I do, um, now I, I know what to study, at least to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. No. Like educating yourself on natural phenomenon, especially like even some man-made stuff, is you know paramount to really understanding the field as best you can. And I mean, so I, I actually do have a degree in physics. Uh, which is uh, not something you normally, I, I mean, most people don't have degrees in physics, but at the same time, I haven't done anything with it in like 18 years or so. So uh, I'm definitely rusty 
<laughs> well, the laws of physics definitely do come up in the UFO world. I will say that much. Oh, I can imagine. I, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things that could cause uh, of someone to to think that he sees something that, um, c- again, could be perceived as as unusual and an unidentified object. Uh, unidentified. What am I <laughs> Unidentified object. But at the same time, it's uh, a lot of it can very well be explained. And it's, I, I mean, to me, physics is just interesting because once you start getting into like the quantum realm, it uh, <laughs> I everything feel like, just becomes chaotic and harder and harder to understand. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's really some cool stuff. Uh, quantum teleportation, uh, all that thing. Uh, quantum entanglement. And- quantum entanglements. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's just it's so interesting to me. But at the same time, um I'd rather just play some music and work at a Christmas store. So I think I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I got the better end of the deal there, but we're here to talk about not quantum uh, objects that we don't understand like quarks, but uh, we're going to actually talk about some other objects we don't understand, perhaps UFOs. And so Rendlesham forest, actually about 5.8 square miles of uh, there's plantations there's uh broadleaf belts uh heathland wetland areas and it's actually located in suffolk which is um about eight miles east of ipswich there in england now it's kind of in the middle of two air force bases that the u.s was um, not in control of but i'd say kind of renting i suppose you'd say uh, bentwaters and woodbridge so that's kind of where our story takes place here. And I'm not a very good storyteller when it comes to this thing. I, I prefer to tell my stories in song and in, in uh, poetry. So I'm just doing the, I'm kind of doing the best I can here. So <laughs> if I get anything wrong, feel free to correct me or set the mood a little bit better because I, I'm, I'm more, as I, as I mentioned earlier off, uh, you know, uh, off recording, I, I'm more of a conversationalist. I'm not the greatest storyteller either. I just, Whenever I'm telling a story, I tend to put some creepy music in the background. That tends to set the ambience <laughs> real nice. It, so. it really does, yeah. <laughs> that does so, about three quarters of the work. <laughs> well, you know what? Then uh, I'm totally doing that for sure. All right. <laughs> um, but our story takes place on December 26th. So I guess uh, you guys would call it Boxing Day. Yep. Yep. I know it is the Feast of Stephen, Feast of St. Stephen. And it's kind of around 3 a.m. And um, Airman First Class John Burroughs was on security patrol there at Woodbridge Air Base uh, with his partner when they saw some sort of odd light phenomenon um, in Rendlesham Forest. So from there, they, you know, and Rendlesham Forest, like I said, it kind of separates the Woodbridge, where they were at, from uh, Bentwater, which is another air base that the, the U.S. Air Force was occupying. So they went back to um, call one of their, I guess you'd say superior. I, I would say boss, but I guess they're superior. The commanding officer. C- commanding officer. Yeah, that works, too. And um, they still could see it from, I guess, their vantage point of when they were calling. And I, I su- guess at the same time, there was another security patrol that kind of arrived and saw the same phenomenon. So from there, they went on to investigate. And um, I guess they had to leave their weapons just because they were leaving uh, American jurisdiction. Or I don't know if that's technically considered American soil like an embassy or or not. But uh, I don't think so, because they were operating under uh, NATO at the time. So ah, more or less be an alliance uh, territory, mm. in which case, if you were to leave the base, then yeah, I you would have to leave your weapons behind okay, and so I, that there's I, no friendly fire incident because you're not in an active war zone either. Right. Yeah. So that definitely makes a lot of sense there. See, now we're getting into, I'm definitely in over my head on this one here. Uh, <laughs> I can talk about Rankin Bass all day long, but this is some new territory and I'm really excited about it. But as they, they started going into the forest, they were hearing some strange sounds and that they thought were farm animals that were very upset and uh, I mean, to me, that's pretty creepy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's 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 down Suffolk, so you know that all of those animals are sheep, and to hear sheep freaking out, that's definitely going to set you on edge. Uh, it would definitely set me on edge for sure, <laughs> especially because I'm not used to being around sheep. We have a lot of turkeys and javelina, and that's about it over down here, you know. So uh, sheep, it, just hearing a sheep bleat, I think would kind of just put me a little bit on edge. But as they walked further into the forest, they could hear this. They started receiving radio transmission um, 
that an object had been seen over the base and then disappeared. So they kind of started searching around and I suppose they saw a bunch of strobing lights, at least uh, according to their statement. Now, the the commanding officer uh, at the time was uh, Colonel Charles Halt, who even wrote a statement after he investigated it. And um, of course, through the Freedom of Information Act, uh, it was released. And so there's transcripts out there. You can actually listen to the recordings and I'll, I'll... It was actually a UFO group that uh, came out and petitioned the government to release the, the HALT memo. Did you know that? I did not know it was a UFO group. I, I just knew that it was a, a layman, I suppose. Yeah, it was uh, the United States... Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was a group against UFO secrecy in the United States. They petitioned the government and got a ridiculous number of signatures to have this thing, to have this whole memo released. <laughs> and it was much to the chagrin of them all because it was just a one page, I guess, incident report. So, right. But yeah, no, like, uh, as for, when the Halt memo came out, it was a bit of a disappointment to most people because they were expecting a lot more. And all they got was this one page, I guess, incident report that was three paragraphs long. Makes for a really digestible read, though. Mm hmm. It's really nice and succinct, for sure. But also, I, I think they also, when, when everything was released, they found that there really wasn't any real investigation into anything as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of upset some of them. Uh, or at least I'd be upset if I thought it was this big thing and it turns out no one really looked into it. I, I'm sure I'd be very upset. Yeah, I think part of that, too, though, was some of the, uh, I guess, the attitudes around... Um, both Air Force bases in regards to UFO activity and whatnot. Hmm. Because when it was first reported, the commanding officers were said to roll their eyes and just basically tell their men, stop getting distracted and keep doing your damn work. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your eyes on the prize and stop looking at aliens. Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't blame them. If someone told me they saw an alien, I'd probably roll my eyes too and tell them to get back to work. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, no, we have wreaths to make, guys. Come on, (laughs) make your wreaths. Um, But I know that eventually when they they were out there for, what, about two hours, they were looking at these lights that kept moving around. And I think it was the motion of the lights that really um, got them a little suspicious about what was going on there. They eventually went out again and investigated and found various markings all over, which uh, I'm not... I, I know nothing about UFOs, but I, I've heard of crop circles. Mm-hmm. But uh, reading this this transcript and and as the, they're going and they find these these different markings, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a uh, it, like one of those crop circle type of formations. Uh, no, according to the Halt memo, these uh, it, essentially what these were were indentations in the frozen ground that went down about an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. They were about seven inches across, and they were almost triangular in shape. Hmm. It's especially strange because the ground was frozen there at the time. Right. And I, I guess I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. That, so that's okay. Me for yeah. that, but, no, that's okay. Um, the, if, uh, there was an, an official investigation into it afterward, but they came forward and said that these were rabbit burrows. Well, rabbits don't can't burrow in frozen ground. And for that matter, they don't, when they burrow, they don't burrow just an inch and a half into the ground. Right. Because that, I mean, how would that doesn't make any sense? <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah th- that explanation kind of falls flat on me. That's really interesting. Why would they pick out of all things rabbit burrows? Probably because, um, well, rabbits and foxes are two of the burrowing animals that are native to that region. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense if you know if it's if it's too small to be a fox burrow, then. Well, we could just pin it on the rabbits, but uh, that's no ordinary rabbit. <laughs> what do they say? Uh, the, the, the fangs, the fangs or something like that. Don't Look at the that. bones. That's what it is. Look at the bones. <laughs> I haven't seen that in forever. <laughs> now I want to go back and watch it. <laughs> uh, just talking about rabbits. It popped into my head. I had to do it. I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's I just haven't seen it since college, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is just it's it's there's a lot of strange things. The lights that they saw, they said that I think one of them saw with the reddish hue. I think that's when uh, Halt was out there in his yep. recording. He saw the red lights and it kept they kept moving and I think that's why he's really sticking to his guns about it being 
some sort of um, UFO and not as a, and again, I'm kind of, now I'm jumping ahead, uh, not just lights from the lighthouse that mm. was, was kind of off in the, in, in that um, site path there. Yeah. We'll stick a pin in the lighthouse. Cause I've got some opinions on that myself. So. Ooh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> but every time it seems like they'd get close to the lights, they'd kind of fly away. I'd reported that they would move up and down as well. But the government kind of, of course, just brushed it off. And like you said, the commanding officers were just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Later, so a few hours after the sighting, then um, the patrolman reported it to you know his post commander. And so he said they should try and locate any physical evidence because I think initially they believed it might have been like a down aircraft, right? Mm. Yeah, that was when uh, Jim Penniston was the one that was in charge of um, the investigation as far as this thing went. So, Gotcha. And so, you know, they wanted to go find any kind of evidence for it. So that's when they found the impressions on the ground. They found burn marks on the trees. And I, I guess they went to the area to kind of see what else was there. And the officer that was with him just kind of dismissed it, like you said, as, as, um, as the rabbit burrows. But I guess the circles measured that were left in the ground measured an equal distance apart and made a perfect uh, equilateral triangle. Like not just a triangle, a perfect equilateral triangle, which mm-hmm. that I think is very interesting because if I saw a, an equilateral triangle in the ground, my first thought would not be any kind of burrowing animal. Uh, I don't care how common they were in the area. <laughs> they don't make yeah. perfect triangles in the ground. Yeah, and another thing too is that, uh, like, as far as the indentations in the ground went, when you actually look up the photos that were taken by the uh, British Mi- British Ministry of Defense, or I guess it was the police later on that came on with right. cameras to take photos of the site itself. But anyway, when you take a look at the photos themselves, it's actually not necessarily circular these indentations, they almost kind of look like a fat version of the Star Trek logo. Oh, okay. <laughs> or the Federation logo, I guess I should say. Nice. <laughs> it's definitely, an, it's definitely an interesting kind of uh, indentation. And again, it does not really point toward animal burrows because those are kind of oval in shape. Well, it's just, uh, <laughs> maybe it's true. Maybe uh, first contact was true and, and they came back to our time. I don't know. Do you ever watch Star Trek First Contact? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not much of a Trekkie, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. That's I okay. Was big, I was a big Star Wars kid until uh, the Attack of the Clones came out, and then I felt betrayed and turned my back on Lucas forever. <laughs> I I understand completely. Uh, I, I I'm actually both. I, I say, why not both? You know, I like both Star Trek and Star Wars myself. But uh, yeah. Um, it's Star Wars is one, or excuse me, Star Trek is one of those where like every other movie is pretty good. (laughs) And so first contact was just one of those where the Borg come to attack and they go back in time. So then the enterprise has to follow them back in time to prevent the Borg from taking over. So of course, on the way they help Zephram Cochran make first contact with the Vulcans and then the Federation's form. Anyway, it, it really has no bearing here. Just, you said fat Star Trek you know, logo. And it just it reminded me of that. So <laughs> well, really when we're done here, go and take a look at those photos for yourself and tell me I'm wrong. Oh, I believe it. I believe you completely, but it's, I don't know. I, I see things like this. I hear things like that. And it definitely sounds like something was there and not just animals, mm-hmm. but I don't know what I'm not going to say what yet. So uh, Colonel Charles Halt arrived at the Woodbridge and he was told about the sightings. So, of course, he was skeptical, just like you and I would be. And from some accounts, he was pissed. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't it sounds like they were just wasting time in the forest, honestly. So I don't blame him. What he was saying Mm -hmm. that they were doing, like, quit wasting time. There's sensitive materials at these bases, which. We'll touch on later. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so intrigued. This I should have just had you tell the story because I'm, I think I'm I'm doing it like a terrible job here. Right? Oh no, you're doing great. <laughs> I just feel like I'm the host. I guess I should be telling the story, but man, <laughs> next time uh, next time you come on when we talk like the chupacabra or something, I'm just gonna let you go with it. Alrighty. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so he started looking at some of the material, and he really just couldn't explain any of it and so more lights were spotted and 
Um, so floodlights were ordered to be set up throughout the woods at, I guess, 9.30 p.m. So I suppose this is on the night that they went out, which I believe was the 28th now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colonel Halt received word again of uh, of the, or he received word of floodlight malfunction. And it, so he decided to go out and, and investigate and he had the photographer come with him. And I, but I believe at this point he still was trying to just prove that nothing happened unusual. Yeah. You betcha. But I guess not just floodlights, but other some of their other technical equipment was malfunctioning as well. So this is where we get the famous uh, recording. And so he basically, I don't know if it was a tape recorder or what, but he just had like a little recorder and he was recording the entire thing as they were going. And um, they went out to explore. I believe Sergeant Robert Ball was with him. They Mm -hmm. also had like a a mini radiation Uh, Geiger counter. And uh, they were just taking readings as they were going as well. And so they, they went to the site where they, you know, believed the quote unquote UFO had landed. That's when they noticed the red glowing lights. And he says they moved up and down that they were very sporadic and not really in the same, uh, you know, kind of in a zigzagging pattern around the pine trees. And uh, he even says that it, it, it's as if they were you know, winking at him, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I found to be uh, quite humorous as well. But um, so they went to the farmhouse. They started hearing animals going crazy. Although I believe later on it was determined that there were no farm animals at the farm. Yeah, it was all just uh, crops and whatnot, like corn and wheat and things like that. But there were no actual um, animals at that farm. Uh, later on, Halt would come out to say that he was pretty sure at that point that it was the animals in the forest that were losing their minds. And and there's a particular type of deer that is in the forest that when frightened makes like a wailing kind of sound. Yeah. Uh, red deers. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, again, I don't really know much about deer. Yeah. Foxes too. When they get scared, they let out this thing called an alarm bark. Okay. And I kid you not. It sounds just like a woman being murdered. It is a terrifying sound to hear out in the, out in the woods at night. So I guess we do know what the Fox says. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that song, my, my kids have lately, as I've been driving them to school. So I do a thing where, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I pick the songs. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, I let them pick the songs. And these last couple of weeks, (laughs) they've been wanting to hear that song. What do the Fox say? And so uh, I guess we know, and it's, that's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because my son's name is Fox. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I put that song on and he just gives me a glare. Yep. (laughs) Which is kind of the opposite of what my daughter does when I put the song Cecilia on, because uh, that's oh, yeah. her name. So <laughs> she's like, yeah, my song. <laughs> <laughs> so they started following the lights. And I guess at this point, they were heading more towards the coast. And they, as they saw the objects in the sky, it kind of had, um, it, like, it started moving in strange patterns. And so they thought that they, either they were either trying to communicate with them or, or warn them or something. But I know at least one of them believed it looked kind of like a, like a grid search kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, to me, it's, it's fascinating because I don't know if I would really try to, or I don't know if I'd be able to try to, 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 to figure out exactly what these things were. Like if I were there and I saw them, I don't know if I would just be mesmerized by what I was seeing or if I would be so curious that I would just go forward. Uh, and so whenever someone investigates something like this, and I know that they were in a group and I know that, you know, they're under orders and, you know, things like that, but it just, I, I always think of what I would do in that situation. And to me as as curious as I would be, I think if I just saw something like that, I'd probably just stand still and watch it for a while. Yeah. I think it all comes down to what kind of fight or flight or freeze response that you have when you encounter something that might endanger you. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like myself and Darcy, we used to be uh, – how we met, actually, we were uh, security officers. Oh, nice. So when some, you know, when danger would come around, we would immediately go into fight mode because that's mm-hmm. what we're trained to do. And that translates right. really well into being paranormal investigators because then if something weird happens, like a UFO shows up or an apparition pops up, we move toward it, not away from it. Right. So I think when it comes to um, – I guess encountering anything paranormal, 
it comes down to exactly like what your personal response to things like that is. Like you get your uh, fight, like Darcy and I flight, which means you run away and then freeze, which kind of sounds like what you would do is like stand there and observe. Yeah. And I mean, I've always, I'm, I'm a people watcher in general. Uh, so I, I, I like to see what people do. So if I saw something, I probably would just kind of stand there and just look at it for a while and try to figure out what it is, but I don't know if I'd run towards it. So uh, that you can and that you actually do these investigations. I mean, kudos to you. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, maybe if I was trained as security, I might. But at the moment, uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> it, it takes us a special kind of crazy to do what we do. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you asked me to like get in front of like thousands of people and play a song. I'll do that. That's no big deal. But uh, if, if I think I'm in danger, I, I don't know if I would do that. Hmm. <laughs> but so they they started seeing those lights it looked like beams were shooting out of them and i believe even at the base they people were reporting that they could see the lights as well mm-hmm. and so um they reportedly saw several blue transparent lights in the sky and one seemed to even um like dive towards the base as well uh, look one looked like it went through a truck uh, and then went back into the sky, and that was reported by John Burroughs on base. But at mm-hmm. that same moment, Colonel Halt and his men noticed an object in the sky as well that looked like it was coming towards them with the like just a crazy fast speed, and then it disappeared. And so from there, Colonel Halt was like, "That was it. That was his turning point. He was a believer at at, at that point." And I think it's really because he just couldn't explain the the various random acts and and motions of these lights yeah because when you listen to the halt tapes like the ones that i that i sent to you there Mm -hmm. um, you can tell at the very beginning he's annoyed he doesn't want to be there he thinks all this is foolish and as the events progress you can hear him getting you know what is that kind of that's kind of weird and then he becomes panicked and at mm-hmm. the end of it, he's just in awe of what he's witnessing. So you, you, it's kind of amazing that you get to look at that transformation happening, not in real time, but about as close as you're ever going to get. Right. Uh, the whole tape is what, about 18 minutes long, something like yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's a cool little listen. So uh, I'll, I'm going to put a link to it, of course. And so anyone that wants to listen to it, I, I definitely encourage you to do so. It, there's definitely some like you mentioned, you can hear his, his progression from skeptic to um, maybe not like pure believer, but definitely on the cusp of like, Hey, something happened here. And, and I, I don't know what it is. So I'm not going to rule out UFO at all. Mm. Of course, the tape was played to his, his immediate uh, supervisors and British military was brought in, but again, nothing really went from there. Some believe, and this is kind of where a lot of the theories pop up. Um, some believe that it was actually from the lighthouse because it turns out as they were walking towards the coast, there's a lighthouse there. I believe it's like Orfordness. I don't know if that's how you say it, but something along something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm used to names like Garcia and Salinas and things like that. So that's <laughs> you know some <laughs> of these, and then of course uh, some of the the way British um, names are pronounced a lot of times is not quite how you think they'd be pronounced. Yeah, no, I hear <laughs> so, you there. Yeah, um, but there's a lighthouse there, and so some believe that that's what they were seeing, and and that actually sounds plausible to me. Um, there's a lot of various light effects that can happen with atmospheric conditions. Um, it is know, possible, but I have a problem with the light. With the, well, I have a couple of problems with the lighthouse theory, to be honest. Because um, when you look at the witness testimonies from what happened that night, mm-hmm. they said that they saw different colored lights like blue, white, red, orange, right? Right. As far as lighthouses go, especially like those in um, in England and whatnot, it's usually just white light. Now, white right. light, of course, encompasses the entire light spectrum. And if mm-hmm. you break it up in a prism, you can get all those colors. However, right. the lighthouse in question was – it was northeast of the base, correct? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing with the Orford Ness lighthouse is that it has a light-blocking shield on its southwest 
end. So mm. when the light is facing inland, like when uh -huh. the light is spinning in, in the lighthouse, when it's spinning inland, there's actually a shield that blocks the light from being cast out into that direction. And that was installed in 1971, nine years prior to this, to to this event. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing a lighthouse, but they can't possibly be seeing the lighthouse. Because it, it would be prevented. So that Okay, so if it's not the lighthouse, well, first of all, is that the only real um, obstacle to the lighthouse being the, um, the culprit, I suppose? Well, I guess distance might play a part in it too because it's five miles away from um from the site that this thing was supposedly sighted at gotcha yeah mm -hmm. okay so if it's not the lighthouse what else could it be uh, as far as physical phenomenon mm -hmm. it's it's really really hard to say with this one because what other natural phenomenon can say leave those imprints in the ground or Right. There was readings of radiation in the area. There were mm -hmm. broken tree branches that were, you know, uh, 25, 50 feet up and they were also burned. Hmm. So, I mean, like it's one of those things like Rendlesham has lived on infamously as one of these great unsolved UFO cases for a reason. And that's because it doesn't really seem like there's any kind of natural or man-made phenomenon that really fits all of the criteria needed to really I guess act, uh, create a plausible solution to what happened that night. Right. I mean, I know one theory is that, uh, so I guess there was kind of a little prank that the U S air force played on, uh, on the, the, some of the British troops at one point. And so one theory is that this was them getting back at them, trying to create like, a sense of you know haha these dumb americans believe anything and so they're actually parachuted down and you know did various uh shenanigans to you know to to make them believe that a ufo uh actually landed but i mean that just seems kind of odd to me as well i i, I don't know if i'd believe that that they would go that to those lengths to actually, you know, prank the U S air force. It seems like a tremendous waste of military funding and uh, resources to be doing that kind of thing. Like I did hear one <laughs> yes. theory uh -huh. that uh, there was a gut that, Oh, I guess it wasn't necessarily a theory. This guy came out and said, I was a member in the wa uh, water, water bend, uh, bent waters, bent waters. Oh, bent water. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. He said that he was a soldier in the bent water location. He said, one of the things that he would do to scare mm -hmm. soldiers was take his car out and put colored screens on both the headlights and taillights and drive around all over the place to incite basically like weird, weird sightings. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, that's definitely sounds a, a more plausible than uh, people, you know, parachuting in and <laughs> just... yeah, but who goes driving their car out in the woods well, see, again, I really don't know because I don't have woods around here. So uh, to me, that's, I, I don't know, maybe they can drive in the woods. I don't I know, only if know like if they're anything like the woods that uh, I grew up playing in when I was a kid, there's no uh -huh. chance you're fitting a car in there. Not even a motorcycle in some places. That's oh, wow. thick. Okay. Well, then, I mean, that doesn't really seem plausible at all either. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the, what, uh, the geograph, uh, geography of the area is. I'm sure that there's a couple of um, YouTube videos out there showing people walking those trails or walking through Rendlesham Forest. It might be able to tell us, but. Yeah, I'm sure oh. there's probably tons of that kind of stuff around. Mm -hmm. But again, it comes down to those broken branches and the burn marks uh, high up in the tree. Yeah. Doesn't really necessarily explain that. Also, too, with um, a little bit going back a little bit. Uh, to the first investigation with James Peniston. Mm -hmm. He said that he saw a craft that was on the ground. It then lifted up off of the ground and shot off at impossible speeds. Hmm. Now, there's a couple of things that I have against Peniston. Peniston, I don't really necessarily believe a lot of what he says. Gotcha. Because, yeah, he was there. We can confirm that. We can confirm that with documentation that he was there that night. Right. 
he was part of a squad, like he was a squad leader, and he was the one who was initially sent out uh, during the first sightings of this craft. And yeah, he saw this thing, and his guys backed him up. But then, of course, he had some really, really weird claims just <laughs> you know a decade ago that, in my mind, kind of threw all of his credibility in the dumpster. Oh, no. oh that's it. could it be? He's just getting older and losing his mind. Either that or he's looking to profiteer off of something weird that happened to him. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I both are pretty believable, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, huh. yeah, the guy does have medical issues, so that kind of gives him motive to sort of make things up. So I, it doesn't really seem like there's a good logical explanation for what uh, for the possibilities of what could have caused this. Uh, at least as far as just natural physical phenomena go. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, and I know it's unsolved, but I I mean, Occam's razor, it seems like the simplest solution is usually the correct one. It would would be perhaps there really was a UFO in this case. Yeah. It was either that or an insanely elaborate hoax. Uh, Insanely elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, they still can't figure out how it was done, which I mean, with all the technology and stuff we have now, it that just seems very unlikely. Yeah, extremely unlikely, especially like even back from 1980. It's, right. Uh, yeah, practical effects were good back then, but not quite that good. <laughs> I, I'd say they were good for movies. I don't know about for actual uh, <laughs> real life events. Yeah, not uh, only but- that, but you're trying to convince, you know, military top brass and stuff like that. Um Another point about this whole this whole incident, uh, one thing that I found especially interesting, because I keep running into this theme again and again and again, as far as UFO cases go, uh-huh. and that's the topic of nuclear weapons. You know, that that is very interesting because there were radiation readings, uh, uh, you know, on their Geiger counter. So mm-hmm. now it was it's never been truly like. The, the British government has never come out and out and said that, yeah, we had nuclear weapons at those facilities. Right. But many, many, many of the guys that came out of there said, yeah, we were paid to look after nuclear weapons. You, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Uh, you know, there was like the height of the Cold War. There was kind of an arms race. I mean, it just I I'd believe it. I really would. And I wouldn't doubt it if perhaps some... I mean, I know there's even a theory about uh, that it was like a Russian spy satellite that kind of uh, landed or took off or whatever. And it was um, actually in with uh, both those theories, uh-huh. the Russian satellite that came through, uh-huh. that, that has been confirmed to have happened on that on the night in question. And then unre- like in an unreal coincidence, the next night, a bullseye meteor shot through the upper atmosphere, creating a line of like a great big fireball over Western Europe. It's unclear as to whether it was seen over Rendlesham, but it, those things did happen. But could a down Soviet satellite make those marks in that particular way? I mean, I think if it was a, a crash satellite, I don't think it would have just made perfectly, you know, equilateral triangle indentations on the ground. No, it would have taken out about a, good you know third of a mile of forest before hitting the ground and it would have hit the ground with an explosion so exactly that that doesn't make any sense so i mean to me that's not very plausible either Mm -hmm. even if the forest were to have slowed it enough that it wouldn't have exploded on impact uh, there's just no way that it would have landed in in such a way to make a perfect triangle yeah certainly not yeah huh I don't know, man. More and more, it seems like it could be, it could be a UFO. Yeah, I got like I gotta say, unless somebody has a better explanation out there, I have to, I have to mark this one as unidentified, unexplained. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, of course, nowadays you can actually walk the Rendlesham Forest Trail. They created the UFO Trail. Uh, <laughs> they did that in uh, 2005. And in uh, 2014, the Forestry Service commissioned an artist to create a work uh, there at the end of the trail. And it states that uh, the piece is modeled on sketches of, you know, the purported 
UFOs seen at Rendlesham. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a tourist attraction now. And if I'm ever in that area, I think I'm totally going to hit it up. Oh, definitely. But uh, I, I mean, you're in this business, so this is like normal for you. But if you heard that there was some sort of UFO sighting, you know, like that night of Christmas, would you rush out to see it or? Probably not on Christmas because I've got two kids, but uh, I have been known the one of these cases that came up, the one that I was telling you about the ice pillars Uh that happened New Year's Eve night. Oh, okay. So yeah, I grabbed my gear and I took off. <laughs> Am I, I'm going to start the new year by finding aliens. Yes, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Tell you what, though, people would always remember your name. That's for yep, sure. That is true. <laughs> um, that that's actually pretty cool. But you know, it it does make me wonder. So normally, I ask like, what's your hap hap happiest memory or moment? Uh, about this, you know, the subject that we're talking about. I don't know if that really applies here. So instead, I'm, I'm going to do a segment called This Is It. Don't get scared now. And so what it would it would be your creepiest or uh, most unusual aspect of this case that you think of uh, when you think of Rendlesham Forest? Uh, I think this, like the scariest part about this whole thing. Yeah. I probably have to say the YouTube ads that I had to endure while brushing up on this subject. Oh my God. <laughs> Gaia TV is a cancer upon the brain. <laughs> That's a good one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, though, the I think the creepiest part about this, yeah. although I, again, I bring it into question, uh, it's, I want to say his name is Larry Warren. Uh-huh. He was uh, another soldier that was... Um, that was based out of um, the Rendlesham area. Mm-hmm. And he is the only one that's come forward saying that he actually saw extraterrestrial beings. Really? Yeah. He said that they were about four feet tall, translucent, like almost transparent. Hmm. But they looked like they looked just like humans, only four feet tall and kind of this like had a kind of translucent skin. Ooh. That's, that's interesting. That's the creepiest part to me. That's pretty creepy. How does that compare then with the uh, other descriptions of extraterrestrials? You it, know, usually you think of them with the bigger head and the big eyes. And Yeah, it sounds kind of similar to how Betty and Barney Hill uh, described their captors because they also looked very human and very translucent skin. About the same height, too. The only difference was, um, I guess... Uh, Williams there, he didn't go into description as to what these things were wearing. Okay. Whereas Betty and Barney Hill, they were very uh, adamant that these things were wearing like blue overalls. So <laughs> Blue overalls. Very alien right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were on their way to, to Wally World and they just got lost. Uh, <laughs> but Can you imagine... Can you imagine if extraterrestrials just came down and they stepped out of their craft and they were just wearing blue overalls, a straw hat, going, well, boys, we finally made it. <laughs> it sounds like an episode of The Simpsons or something. <laughs> Kang and Kodos just wearing overalls. <laughs> yeah. Aliens uh, are from Arkansas? I, well... <laughs> But yeah, I think for me, the creepiest thing, and again, it's just because I'm not used to it. And I've heard a lot of creepy animal sounds, but when they started talking about uh, the red deer and, uh, Mm. or perhaps like you mentioned, the fox that sounds like it's a woman being murdered. I mean, to me, that's just the creepiest part. Walking through the forest at, you know, seeing various orbs and then all of a sudden hearing these noises of animals going crazy. I mean, I've seen enough horror movies to know that when animals go crazy, you better run. So uh, I think that's the creepiest part to me. Yeah, there is one theory that uh, might actually explain that, is that animals have a much greater hearing range than humans do. Yes. And some people believe that these these UFOs, they work almost off of what's called infrasound, Mm -hmm. or some aspect of their mechanical being is, is based on infrasound. So they're essentially, part of their mechanics is emitting this either extremely high pitched or extremely low pitched frequency that only animals can hear. 
Right. So that's why they go crazy when these things are around. Ooh. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It, it's plausible, if nothing else. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you think about dog whistles and what it does, you know, to them. So, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, discount it offhand. Mm. But that's a uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I wonder. Uh, I wonder what kind of music the aliens listen to. That's for another story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I wonder if they have a. Uh, if they have, you know, uh, like prog rock. <laughs> I just picture. I just, I just had the uh, the cantina theme from Star Wars jump into my head. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the Max Rebo band as well. Ah, uh, yeah. There we go. Uh, but now we come to my favorite part of the show, and we're still going to do it, even though I don't know if it really makes sense to do it. But it's a, a little segment I like to call "Gag Me with the Spoon." So this is where we do our best impression of our least favorite part of, in this case, the tape that we heard. So uh, the scene is kind of, it's going to be the same scene. It's the halt and this man just searching and exploring and, and uh, it's all based on that audio tape. And I kind of feel bad because it's real events and real people that experienced it. But at the same time, I really like this bit. So I kind of, I kind of want to do this bit, (laughs) but uh, as a guest, I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, just uh, the, what did you find to be the, uh, I guess the the most annoying or or just your your least favorite part of this whole tape? Uh, like as as far as um, as far as halt goes, I think toward the end of it though, mm-hmm. his use of the word weird and just the way that he says it, it's so nasally, right? It's almost like yeah, something weird is going on here. <laughs> it's weird. It's like okay, we get it. <laughs> Stop saying that, please. So strange and weird. That's kind of very similar to what I picked as well. And it's when he's when he's like, this is unreal. And then he kind of laughs. (laughs) I I can't do his laugh. How do you command your men with that voice? How do they take you seriously? (laughs) I think at that point, it's just it's literally just the uniform. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Oh man, uh, the guy with the squeaky voice—you gotta look out. He is—he's crazy, man. <laughs> I want some take out a whole platoon of men with a spoon. <laughs> Why a spoon, cousin? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're talking about—we're talking about England. I had to—I had to pull in a, a Robin Hood quote there. <laughs> oh, wonderful! What does he say? Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But, uh, you know, it does make me wonder. G.I. Joe taught us that knowing is half the battle. What do you think the other half is? Oh, if anybody who's uh, ever listened to my podcast, you'll know uh, the other half of the battle is uh, don't trust raccoons because they're aliens. <laughs> <laughs> For real, or, those guys, those guys are weird. Well, I mean, really, when you think about it, they're three feet tall, they're gray in color, big black eyes, weird hands. And it seems like a dead ringer to me. Hey, that's right now. It's hitting every single check, every single box there. Uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty good for me. Uh, so if knowing is half the battle, the other half is making sure that you're not looking in the direction of a lighthouse before jumping straight to UFO. <laughs> that's a good that's a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, hey. It's been so much fun talking with you, Kelly. Uh, tell me about your show. Uh, so my show, uh, I guess our show, Dar- Darcy and I, it's uh, called Canadian Spirit. Uh, like we discussed at the beginning, Darcy and I, we're paranormal investigators. We've been working together for 10 years now. And uh, we decided one day want to keep our investigation skills sharp. And how are we going to do that? Well, we kind of sat down. We got thinking about it. Well, why don't we? look at different uh, paranormal cases from across Canada. Nice. We were, yeah, that's a great idea. Well, I was huge into the podcast at the time and it, a light bulb just kind of went off my head and I said, why don't we make that a podcast? So yeah, Canadian spirit was born and that's basically what the entire show is, is Darcy and I looking at paranormal cases from across Canada and just trying to figure out what may actually be behind them and, we also throw in ridiculous ads for companies that don't exist. So it's a bit of a palate cleanser every now and then. <laughs> I understand. Uh, I, I, 
and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but I, I've been listening to uh, Crime Junkies. Oh, and, yeah. you know, it's just a true crime podcast. And so they really get into it. And then all of a sudden it just like cuts to some commercial and you're like, oh, OK, it was getting really intense there. So I'm glad this is kind of here. <laughs> and then we go back to it. Uh, so I, I definitely get that. But the fact that it doesn't exist is actually even better. <laughs> yeah, it kind of came about as the fact that we didn't have any sponsors at all. And we kind of needed a break halfway through the show. We yeah. wanted to keep the continuity flowing and we wanted to start. To, you know, making practice for when we would actually cut to a real ad. And yeah, the first one, people hated it. I got threats. And oh no, <laughs> I decided to double down. I said, nope, we're doing this every episode from now on. <laughs> See, I love bits like that. <laughs> to me, that's gold. <laughs> oh, but yeah, man. no, going back to the show, it's pretty much just Darcy and I were trying to figure out exactly what could be behind the most famous and forgotten paranormal mysteries in Canada. And yeah, we cover some really interesting topics that is not covered in any kind of history books. So it's right. certainly, it's certainly a, a deep dive into both Canadian history and our relationship with the paranormal. That's so cool that you can just, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of what I'm doing here. You know, it's, it's really um, just all about a particular area, particular culture, uh, of course, mine is Christmas based and in, in the 80s. But I mean, it, I, I love how you can just take that, just that native, just everything about it, that culture and and explain it and and or or try to explain, I should say, the unexplainable. And mm -hmm. to me, it's just it's so interesting. But where can they find you? Oh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Podbay. Pretty much everywhere you find podcasts, you just type in Canadian Spirit, Spirits in all capitals. And yeah, we're usually the first thing that pops up. So nice. Uh, social media? Um, yeah, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, it's at Spirit underscore Canadian. Or you can f check out our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash Spirit GP. Right on. Uh, it, again, thank you for coming on. It's been so much fun talking with you here and just learning about all this this case that's kind of like i guess the roswell of britain yeah in a sense except the craft the craft didn't crash that's the only well, thing that kind of yeah. sets it apart you or, know canada has our own roswell hey oh no i didn't know that yeah it's uh called the shag harbor ufo incident we actually have a couple episodes on that one. Oh we, yeah 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 i didn't yeah, realize in, it was uh, <laughs> and back in uh i think it was 1967 a ufo crashed into uh, shag harbor nova scotia mm. so Everywhere's got their own Roswell, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, if we're going to storm something, might as well storm Roswell, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Seems maybe easier to access. I <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> or probably, you know what? Probably because of uh, Independence Day. That, I, I guess maybe. I don't maybe. know. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know if if independence day had been made in canada maybe they would have used that one i don't <laughs> it's independence a eh? independence a eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he'll be here all week folks <laughs> uh, great puns great puns yeah <laughs> it's nothing like a good pun uh but on that note uh i'll say thanks again yeah and thank you for having me on jerry yeah, anytime. And of course, uh, I'll in include links to all this, guys. Make sure you check them out. It's such a great show. And I'll end it by saying, immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky, and they were checking us out on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're feeling like the U.S. Air Force Security Police Patrolman searching the forest in the middle of the night, leave us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Now, don't forget to check out our merch shop on tpublic.com and our brand new website, courtesy of Tis the Podcast Elf, Tom Crow. Later, dudes. Hey, guys. I'm Darcy, founder of Spirit. And I'm Kelly, the chief technical officer of Spirit. Back in 2011, we formed the Supernatural Paranormal Investigations and Research Institute, searching for answers to mysterious things that were happening in our little corner of Canada. And we haven't stopped searching for those answers ever since. 
Join us on our podcast, Canadian Spirit, as we dive into all of Canada's most famous and forgotten paranormal mysteries. Examine the evidence and try to figure out what might be behind Canada's ghosts, cryptids, and UFO encounters. In Canadian Spirit, you'll get a peek behind the curtain and see for yourself what being a paranormal investigator is really like and learn something about Canadian history, which isn't as boring as it sounds. Even if it is, we're a pair of chuckle fucks, so we'll do our best to make it entertaining. So come along for the ride and discover for yourself what makes the land of maple and hockey so wonderfully weird. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, you know, wherever you find your podcasts. And remember, raccoons are aliens, werewolves are perverts, and ghosts are just downright rude sometimes.